you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. The CEOs, authors, thought leaders, visionaries, and motivators. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times. Because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. This is Voss here from the com. The com. And now, ladies and gentlemen, a man who likes to read books through osmosis. I'm your host, Chris Voss. Welcome to the show, folks. <laughs> it's wonderful to have you and uh, be a part of the big family. It's, isn't it nice to sit down with the Chris Voss Show family and feel the warmth, the love? Part of that whole community of the Chris Voss Show, we certainly appreciate you guys coming by. I can never say that enough because I mean it. I mean it from the depth of my heart. Uh, I'm lonely and I have nothing better to do all day than just spend time with you guys on a podcast and bring you brilliant minds, brilliant minds. One of them is not mine uh, on the show. That's why we have guests, so we can have the smart people on the show. Today we have an amazing guest, and she's going to be talking about this amazing uh, portion of history. You're going to learn a lot because uh, the important thing about history is what we, if we, uh, one one thing man does not learn, uh, one thing man can learn from his history is that man does not learn from his history, or something to that effect that I always say. Uh, in the meantime, as always, refer the show to your family, friends, and relatives. Put your arm around them, hold their phone, and uh, force them to uh, uh, subscribe to the Chris Foss Show. Don't force them. That's just a joke, people. But go to, tell them to go to YouTube.com, forward slash Chris Foss, Goodreads.com, forward slash Chris Foss, LinkedIn, <laughs> forward slash Chris Foss, all the Chris Foss properties on LinkedIn. There's a whole mess of them. She is the author of the newest book that came out January 17, 2023, Master Slave Husband, wife, an epic journey from slavery to freedom. Ilan, uh, Ilion Wu is on the show with us today. Welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on. Thanks for coming on. We really appreciate it. And give us your dot coms wherever people would find you on the interwebs, please. Sure. It's ilionwu.com. That's I L Y O N W O O.com. There you go. And so, what motivated you want to write this book? Well, simply put, William and Ellen Craft, uh, they came out with a, a story, a narrative in 1860. And this was assigned reading for a seminar that I was taking at Columbia University on the literature of passing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's one of those reading experiences that just stays with you, that, you know, I can remember the moment of being in the library. And I remember, of course, the adventure, the, uh, you know, the great escape. But I also really, it's the voice that sat with me all this time. And, this voice was telling me things I had never heard before, and I was ready to follow it anywhere. So who who were these folks? Uh, the title of the book, Master, Slave, Husband, and Wife, and a Journey, I believe, Where They Escape Slavery. Uh, who are these folks? Yes. Well, the, the folks are Ellen Craft and William Craft. They are an enslaved couple from Macon, Georgia. And Ellen is the daughter of an enslaved woman named Maria, and her first enslaver. So her first enslaver was also her father. Mm. And from him, she inherited a very light complexion. And when she decided, along with her husband, to make this escape from slavery, she used that complexion, her ability to pass for white, as part of her disguise. So when we're talking about master-slave in the title, we're talking about Ellen impersonating 
a master and William playing the role of, of her slave. So she actually, she dresses herself as a rich, wealthy white man and a disabled man who would all the more need the services of her slave. And that is a role performed by William. Oh, wow. And they use this, uh, this, uh, get up for lack for better word, uh, to, to escape the South. Yes. So, you know, as an enslaved couple, their, their movement is completely curtailed, right? All the bridges Mm -hmm. are watched there. They have to go, they have to, they can only travel with a written pass from their enslavers. And so there's really no, no good way for them to be able to leave Macon. Um, Mm -hmm. they have no, no autonomy. And what they do is they use this ingenious disguise so that they can get on a train in Macon, Georgia, and take that train for over a thousand miles to freedom. Wow! So they have to go through all sorts of different uh, mechanisms and checkpoints. Basically, <clears throat> back then there was all sorts of—I mean, t- technically, the police were started in America to be slave police, where they would, you know, uh, they would capture escaped slaves and and return them to their their places. At least, that's my understanding. Um, and so, and so they had to, you know, deal with all this as they go through. And it sounds like a really amazing, brilliant uh, disguise. Oh, absolutely. I mean, when they first, when Ellen first puts on this disguise, they're, they're hiding um, in uh, the cabin that she inhabits behind her enslaver's home. They are in this cabin. It's four in the morning. She puts on her shirt. She puts on her vest. She puts on her, these pants that she's actually made, the jacket. You know, she's dressed up from, from shoes to hat. And William has just cut her hair. And then she stands back for a moment. And he's, he basically says, you make a great gentleman. You look like a gentleman. And yeah, they, it- yeah. And this is an incredible risk that they're taking because if they're, if they're found out, if they're caught, if they're returned to their, uh, to, to whoever, uh, their slaveholder is, um, it, the penalties can be grievous. Oh, absolutely. I mean, so when William has to go to the train station, he passes right by the court square where he's seen people capt- captured, um, failed escapees. He's seen them, you know, just, in chains and uh, brutalized. And in that same square, actually, he himself had been auctioned as a child. So there are all these dangers. There's physical punishment. There's separation from each other. There's being sold. And there are also dangers to those they leave behind. Wow. And and uh, that, that can make all the difference. Did they have kids they left behind or anything, or was it just the two of them? They don't report on having had any children. Hmm. And they don't seem to have had any children during this time, although there are accounts that suggest that Ellen may have had a child when she was in slavery. And, of course, that can't be corroborated, and the crafts themselves don't speak of having had any children in slavery, but it's one of the things that I explored in my research in this book. Wow. And so how how hard was it to to dig into depth, find the journey? Did they keep a journal? What was the – how hard was it to, to go through some of this research? It was difficult, but it was it was also made much easier by the fact that they themselves were storytellers. So they wrote a narrative, as I mentioned, but they also spoke their story all the way across New England. So once they get get out of bondage uh, in the South and they land in the North, 
at that point, they could have gone to Canada. They could have um, changed their names and kind of quietly disappeared and started new lives in a safer place. But they don't do that. They tell their story all the way across the North, and newspapers are following their story and reporting on this. So we have a lot more from them you know, with the combined reporting and and with their own narrative than, than in many such cases. And at the same time, there was much that they didn't tell. They either couldn't or wouldn't tell. Mm-hmm. That that was, uh, that's interesting. And so they kind of become almost like little celebrities uh, having escaped from, uh, they, they do this in 1948. They go from Georgia to the north and then uh, something happens in 19, or I'm sorry, 1850. Well, the story does feel very present, so I can understand getting some of those dates mixed up. (laughs) Yes. In 1850, the Fugitive Slave Act of 1850 passes. So there has been a Fugitive Slave Act before this, but Southerners are really upset that that there is not really any accountability there, that it's it's too hard to actually enforce it. But in 1850, Mm -hmm. a powerful new Fugitive Slave Act passes. And this one, you know, scholar Ibram Kendi calls it as something having octopus powers. And it enables enslavers like the crafts to reach over into states and be empowered as never before to to, to re-enslave these people just based on uh, eyewitness testimony. So the crafts have oh. no ability to to testify or to, to, to fight back. If somebody claims them as their slaves, there's nothing that they can do. And wow. the... The, the enslavers can go straight, they can bypass state and local officials, and they can appoint, uh, appeal to federally appointed commissioners. Not only that, but any ordinary citizen, it's said that every good citizen is required, if called upon, to essentially become part of the slave hunting team. They can wow. raise the posse, and if you're called upon, you have to go, and you have to go help recapture these people, or face prison and exorbitant fines, really high fines. Hi, folks. Here's Foss here with a little station break. Hope you're enjoying the show so far. We'll resume here in a second. Uh, I'd like to invite you to come to my coaching, speaking, and training courses website. You can also see our new podcast over there at chrisvossleadershipinstitute.com. Over there, you can find all the different stuff that we do for speaking engagements, if you'd like to hire me, uh, training courses that we offer, and coaching for leadership, management, entrepreneurism, uh, podcasting, corporate stuff. Uh, with over 35 years of experience in business and running companies as CEO, uh, I think I can offer a wonderful breadth of information information and knowledge to you or anyone that you want to invite me to for your company. Thanks for tuning in. We certainly appreciate you listening to the show and be sure to check out chrisvossleadershipinstitute.com. Now back to the show. Wow. And it just, it like forces citizens to go be bounty hunters to, to find these folks. It does. And in fact, if you do the opposite, if you try to help these people, you, you are also, you also face incredible punishment. Um, prison and and a lot of money so they escape 1,000 miles to the north mm-hmm. they get away they 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 uh end up in i guess new england yes and then this new fugitive slave act comes out in 1850 and they've got to escape again where did they go from there well at that point it's no longer safe to be in the United States of America. It's not been enough to escape the South. I'm not sure it still is. (laughs) (laughs) For anybody, including me. 
<laughs> That's a joke. Yeah, well, I've got family in the South too, but um, so we won't speak ill of the South. But I think no, I'm that- just talking about America in general. <laughs> <laughs> I, might, I might go to Canada, you know, you have better health insurance up there. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of talk of Canada. There has been over the last couple of years as well. Yeah. Um, but the, the, what, what, so when they arrive in the North, it's not like they're suddenly free. They don't suddenly cross this magical line and then, you know, the chains are broken. They are still legally enslaved in the North. And I think that's one of the things that, really interested me in the writing of the book and the pursuit of this history is that, you know, we have a tendency to divide ourselves and say, all right, this is South, this is North, but we were really one nation at that time for better or for worse. Mm -hmm. And so, especially with the passage of this law that was part of the compromise of 1850 and meant to kind of unify us and save the union, Mm -hmm. everybody was implicated. Everyone was. And this is this is kind of interesting. I, I this is the first time I've heard about the Fugitive Slave Act in 1850. Uh, Abraham Lincoln doesn't take office till 1861. I'm wondering if this is one of the things that helped uh, propel his presidency because I, I'd be kind of pissed off. I'd be like, I don't want to go hunt people down. I got farming to do, and you know, it's 1850. I got farming to do and kids to raise, and I got better things to do than you know get on a horse and go right around trying to find people and you know for the slave trade i don't i don't really care about but you know i mean i suppose attitudes and opinions were different back then but seriously though i i mean i wouldn't be forced to do something i don't want to do i don't want to go you know hey, you got to join a thing and we're gonna go ride around on horses for a while and i'm just like i don't know man that doesn't sound like fun to me i'll, I'll stay here at the farm and do stuff <laughs> but but uh, i think that's interesting because uh within uh what is it uh, 11 years, uh, Abraham Lincoln takes the presidency. And then, of course, we take a turn at uh, freeing slavery and different things. Uh, so this is really interesting. And so they, there's, it says here uh, on the on the book uh, data, there's three epic journeys that, can, mm-hmm. they, that they go on. Do I have all three of them uh, that we've kind of teased out? Yes. I mean, the first one we could even talk about a bit more because that's mm. the one that's the one they really cover in their book. So the three epic journeys are first, they go from Macon, Georgia. They travel those thousand miles to mm-hmm. Philadelphia and then they go to they're originally intending to go to Canada. But instead, they go on this abolitionist lecture circuit tour for wow. another thousand plus miles. That was actually really interesting where I I mapped them uh all over New England. I, mm-hmm. I put little, you know, pinpoints down on every place they stopped. And previously, I remember scholars saying, well, this really seems like a crazy route. They're going everywhere. They're zigzagging. Why are they doing this? William Wells Brown, who is this incredible uh, self-emancipated person, but also a, a best-selling author and speaker who takes them on this journey, you know, he's the one who's planning all this. And people are saying, well, Brown, what is he thinking uh, going back and forth, but actually, if you plot those points, they're actually following the railroad track. So not only does the railroad help them go from Macon to Philadelphia, it helps them on their tour all over New England where they spread their story. And that's there's a real power of storytelling here that's going oh, on. Yeah. You say it is a real shift from 1848 to 1861. And self-emancipated people like William and Ellen Craft have a huge part in that in transforming public opinion because it's one thing when 
you're told, right, that these horrible things are happening to people. It's another when you're seeing somebody right in front of you who's experienced this. And for a lot of white audiences, it was especially shocking to see Ellen Craft because she looked white. So they were able to identify with her and be pulled into this anti-slavery cause as never before. Yeah, and and so they're helping spread the story of what's going on in the South and how it's going uh, and the horrors of what's going on down there. It's kind of like the same sort of thing that, uh, like you said, seeing they're, they're seeing these people in person giving a witness testimony. Um, it's kind of like the same sort of thing where, you know, people weren't really into civil rights until they saw you know, the dogs and the hoses turned on people in Birmingham in the 60s mm-hmm. and people saw the horror of it and on TV and, and that brought it home to people where they're like, well, this isn't right. And uh, so I think it was extraordinary they did that. I'm, uh, it's, it's interesting the effect that this had before uh, Abraham Lincoln and, and maybe uh, had some in- interest in getting him elected and changing this sort of stuff. Did they inspire other people to escape or were they mostly able to just tell their story in the North? Did imagine any sort of printing of their story was squashed in the South? Yeah, that's really interesting. I don't know of a specific example. I Mm -hmm. do know though that some people, including Frederick Douglass were troubled by their telling their story in Mm -hmm. this much detail. And that once you have that escape method, publicized Ah. it prevents other people from being well actually doesn't prevent them from taking this route but it it enhances their danger and that's exactly what happened in um with another self-emancipated man who fled bondage around the same time uh henry box brown so he's a man who had himself mailed in a box in a shipping container from uh virginia all the way up to philadelphia he had himself nailed into this and it was a brutal journey. And when he came out and when the crafts came out and they actually take the stage together with Douglas, wow. Douglas saying, you know, you're telling, you're, you're giving away this method. And around that time, so there is actually another effort to escape by a box. And these two people actually are, are, are caught. Wow. It's extraordinary the the danger that you take. I mean, people don't really think about the the empathy of it, of of how much danger you're in, and to travel one thousand miles. And we're we're talking, we're not talking like you got in the car and you drive and I don't know one thousand miles. What is that like uh, twenty hours or something? Today? That that must have took them uh, quite a lot of time to travel from Georgia one thousand miles out by foot or horse or rail. How, how did they? What did they walk it or did they? Uh, they, they, they must have walked pieces of it. Actually, later when mm-hmm. they escape to Canada, they do have to walk seven miles in the mud, and it's terrible. But wow. that's another journey. That, that's a journey where sort of everything that could go wrong did go wrong, and they were much luckier on, on the first leg. But they – so they started off by train. They also took a steamboat. In fact, mm-hmm. the journey was supposed to be much shorter than it was. They were supposed to start in Macon. And then take the train to Savannah and then take a steamship to Charleston. And then from Charleston, there was another steamer that went straight to Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. The problem is when they arrived in Charleston, it's wintertime. It's almost actually exactly a hundred. They might have been Charleston in Charleston on this day, on this day, uh, mm-hmm. 
173 years ago. But anyway, they arrive in Charleston and they, they're, they have one last leg to go, they think. And they're going to buy tickets that will take them all the way to the north. And then they learn that the ship has stopped running, that it's wow. the winter season now. So they can't go that way. They, and, and not only that, but they learn that on the last, the last journey out, there had been another man who had sealed himself in a box, going back to the box, and wow. he was caught. The, the the ship was stuck there for too long, and he had to just make his way out of his box. And, you know, because of that, the Port of Charleston was watched that much more carefully. So in a way, they were kind of relieved when they learned later, wow, that could have been really bad if we had tried mm-hmm. to make our escape there and and gotten caught. But instead of taking this one single ride to the north, now they have to go, it's called the overland route, and they're following basically the, the mails. And mm-hmm. they, have to, they have to travel with the mail, making all these different stops. And ca- I mean, I can't even imagine stopping so many times. I have trouble just like transferring trains, you know, like on the subway, and I'm like directionally very challenged. But they, they, could, they didn't have a map. Mm-hmm. They didn't have literacy. They had yeah. so strikes against them and yet they managed to figure it out yeah they didn't have gps or any you know, or maps or any of the, the forming i mean in in the whole time you're you're kind of in a state of terror or or you know heightened awareness uh where you're uh you know uh you you've got to keep your act on uh that you're putting up so that you can uh maintain your disguise and uh and then you're probably walking a lot and as you mentioned maybe in winter or in the outdoors you know like i say you're not in the comfort of a vehicle or or something most times and uh so it's a hell of a journey and it, yeah. it, it takes it takes time how how did how long did it take from the cover of that track was it a month or they or left more? on december 20th and mm-hmm. they arrived on christmas eve wow. but one thing I would add, actually, is that they did travel in style. That's what made this journey so different from mm-hmm. many of the others that we hear about, is that they didn't have to, you know, go through forests and 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 walk for miles and miles on end. Mm-hmm. They actually took the the best technology of their day. They rode it all. Ellen Craft, you know, was in first class. She had pretty good seating, especially when she got to a uh, Virginia and Maryland, and Maryland, the trains improve. William was stuck in a different car in what's called the Negro car, and mm-hmm. he was stuck with the baggage. And um, at one point, actually, I mean, this story just has so many twists and turns. You really just can't make it up. And, and I'll just give you one example. They're almost, uh, they're almost. It's like their last, le- the last leg of their journey. They're almost to Philadelphia, and they mm-hmm. stop at the Susquehanna River. And they don't know that there's this this last change that they're going to make, but the train can't cross the water. The the the, the water flows, the ice flows are are just too much. And so what happens is the passengers disembark and they take a ferry, but the luggage is shuttled uh, is uh, shuttled over with the ferry as well in the lug in the entire luggage cart. I don't know if I'm making sense here, but so. Mm-hmm. William is with the luggage and he's fallen asleep because so many days have passed when, when they're, you know, when they're running and they, you know, they're, they've had to plan the journey. They've stayed up to perfect their costume, everything. They've been on heightened alert day after day. And now they think we're almost to Philadelphia. And so he falls asleep and he falls like 
dead asleep and they roll over the whole luggage cart. He does not check on Ellen and Ellen is terrified now because wow. time he's just gone. He's sleeping, but she doesn't know this and he's gone. And so she has to make this decision. What, what is she going to do? Is she going to travel on without him? Is she going to try to wait? Um, you know, she has the tickets. He does not. She has no money because they've just transferred it to him, actually, because they think they're so close that she's more likely to get robbed as a white, a wealthy white man than he is. Wow. She is so brave in this, (laughs) in this moment when she decides to move on. Wow. And I guess I imagine they finally hook up and find each other. (laughs) I guess it's otherwise like, the story would be a little different, I guess. Yeah, it would be, it would be tragic. Uh, but yes, exactly. He, he's sleeping and, uh, it's the, when somebody actually wakes him up and they're like, your master was scared stiff about losing you. He, 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 he was sure that you'd run off. And William's thinking to himself, I don't think she thought that I was going to run off. And I think she, he actually says this. And that's, it's one of the really ironic lines of the story because he says things that are true. You know, he would, she would never think that I'd run off. That's actually true, but they don't believe him. They're, they're like, no, she is just, or he, because they think he's a, she's a man. Mm. Your master is utterly terrified and thinks that you are fleeing. Wow. That's crazy, man. Well, what, what do you hope people come away from reading the book and, and the story that's uh, weaved in it? That's a wonderful question. I hope, I hope that they will, more people will know the crafts as the heroes that they were, as American heroes. There are people, I mean, their memory, the memory of the crafts has been cherished and kept, especially by their descendants who are still living today. And there are scholars who know their story, but they don't have the same kind of name recognition as, say, Douglas or even Henry Box Brown, who I previously mentioned. And I would like the world to know better their name. There you and go. To understand them as the incredibly courageous American heroes that, that, that they were. Yeah. And, and, and sharing their message and spreading it, even though it probably hurt others from coming, uh, probably brought, shine quite a light on what was going on with slavery and the issues that were, um, the issues that were present there and just made it so that, uh, maybe, you know, hopefully it led to the uh, overthrowing of slavery, at least with what Lincoln tried to do. Um, after that, of course, uh, his assassination, they, they did the, uh, uh, they did the uh, Jim Crow laws. But uh, reverse course for the next uh, what fifty hundred years, um, it, it's just insane the the path of this country. And but it's important we learn our history so that we know uh, how to avoid making the same mistakes in the future. Uh, mm-hmm. It's been really enlightening to have you on. Thank you very much for coming. Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. There you go. Uh, and uh, give us a dot coms wherever you want people to find you on the interweb so people can uh, get to know you better. Sure, it's Ilyan Wu. Uh, I-L-Y-O-N-W-O-O dot com. There you go. Order the book, folks, wherever fine books are sold. Uh, Master, Slave, Husband, Wife, An Epic Journey from Slavery to Freedom, out January 17th, 2023. Order up for the new year, and it be a great read set for the, uh, you know, the upcoming new year. The smarter you can be, the better you are. <laughs>
That's that should be a saying I should put on a shirt. Cause the Chris Moss show, the smarter you are, the better looking you are. Something I don't know. <laughs> anyway, folks, thanks for tuning in. Go see all of our properties on YouTube, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, all those crazy places. Thanks for tuning in. Be good to each other. Stay safe. And we'll see you guys next time.